You're listening to Great Scott. Oh, shit. <laughs> Keep listening. going. Keep going. It's close <laughs> enough. Close enough. Yeah, this is the Great Scott. My name is Jay Ray. With me is my deskmate, Jacob. We're trying new things, and sometimes that screws up. So you get to be on the inside, you know, yeah. well, inside baseball, as it were. Exactly. Uh, this is Great Scott. I am Jacob. We are a member of the Broken Jars Broadcasting Network. You can find our podcast at brokenjars.xyz. Uh, you can find our Patreon at broken J- or sorry, patreon.com forward slash broken jars. Um, yeah, we got all sorts of fun podcasts. We got the Dresden Files podcast. We got High Fantasy, which is a writing podcast. We've got this podcast. <laughs> I'm sure there's other podcasts I can't remember, but so, but we're here to talk about The Office. So uh, we are continuing on with season seven. We've got two hot episodes for you, and uh, we'll we'll just jump in with our next one, which is Andy's Play, season seven, episode three. Um, written by Charlie Grandy and directed by John Stewart Scott. Not to be confused with Michael Gary Scott. Have, have we seen these people before? Like, I don't. These names do. I do not recognize these names at all. Yeah, I. Uh, I'm with you. Not sure who these folks are. Oh, but uh, like so, Charlie Grandy. He did Crime Aid. Mm. It broke. Double Date. Uh, so yeah this guy's done a few things um yeah he's done a few things he's done direct shows like chuck gigantic american horror story suits the magicians um he's producing director for mistresses so yeah so john stewart scott he's done some things there you go. Just this is for whatever reason he's doing this. <laughs> this thing. <laughs> so um the episode starts with one of those cold opens that is directly related to the uh the episode with Andy running in in a sailor's costume and he starts singing the intro song to Stephen Sondheim's Sweeney Todd. Right, which you know I know nothing about mm-hmm. Sweeney Todd except for like the fact you know he murders people. Yes, <laughs> that is the extent of my knowledge. I've never seen it. I missed the Johnny Depp movie, which apparently was pretty good. Uh, yeah, just know nothing about it. Uh, so that's going to do it for this week's episode. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, you know, uh, the, the flick was done by Tim Burton. If that'll give you a reference of like that kind of weird, lighthearted gothicness thing that the Sweeney Todd show kind of has. Right. Right. Um, I know it's a, it's a Sondheim thing. Yeah. Which like, I don't know what else he's done, but I know that's like a big name in the theater world. Yeah. He did a uh, into the woods. Oh man, I saw the movie with that. Yeah, god awful. There you go. That's an like, opinion to have. We we were sitting there watching it. Like we should just turn this off. It's terrible. We stuck it out, but at the end of that film, we we're like, oh, that was a waste of two dollars. Why? Why two dollars? <laughs> because it was in the discount bin at Walmart for two dollars on Blu-ray. I that should have been the first clue right there that, you know, I was like, well, it's sort of a weird fairy tale thing. Maybe it just wasn't popular with audiences. No, no, it was awful, which sucks because there's like a lot of big names in there. Well, I mean, I don't know what your history is with musical theater or anything like that. It's very possible that you're just not a musical theater guy. Uh, I have no issue with musicals. I've watched plenty of musical that I have liked. Right. Music calls. But, like, this was, like, a stage thing for film as opposed to La La Land or whatever, you know? No, no, no. I was referring to the Disney version of Into the Woods. I'm, no, I'm aware, That's but that's based on the, sh- the play. Right, right. But that movie was just, it was awful. I'm sure the play would have had much better structure and pacing. <laughs> the structure- why, why, do you, why do you think it'd be different? Uh, because, you know, plays and movies progress at a much different rate in general. Even though they can be similar, they're, they're just different, you know. 
Boy. Welcome to Great Scott, the episode where Jacob and I are not on the same page at all. <laughs> all right, so uh, it's it's Andy singing this song, and um, everybody's kind of like, you know, what's going on? And then more people come from behind these kind of uh, Victorian-looking British folk. Right, uh, they're they're in the you know Sweeney Todd, you know, get yeah, get up. Yeah. And, you know, they're doing their singing, which is pretty good. And we realize that, you know, Andy can actually sing when he's, you know, doing so in the appropriate context. Right. Pam, Pam says later. Um, and what I love is you see everyone kind of reacting to it. And you see Dwight with this big, like, hunting knife that he, you know, pulls out of somewhere. Who knows? <laughs> right, right. And we also assume this is the same knife from the, the the music video opening from the first episode. I mean, it's probably Mr. A Knife, right? Uh, yeah, probably. Um, and if not, it's a retcon version of that knife. But uh, I mean, how, yeah, I mean, so, at least twice, I think you see all of Dwight's weapons being rounded up, once by Jim and once by Toby. I know for sure by Jim. But I think there's like twice where he's like getting his all of his weapons rounded up. Yeah, it's done by Jim when uh, Andy and him are going to have a duel. And then it's done by Toby after the pepper spray incident with Roy. Right, right. <clears throat> right. Um, well, so the whole thing goes and, and Jim's digging it. He's uh, he's kind of enjoying the chaos of this whole whole thing unfolding. Well, and you know, Jim, he's like an excuse not to work. So Right. And, uh, you know, it goes and the whole audience, uh, the office rather, is at, a, is at attention and they're digging it. And um, the, the cast and crew of this sing song are accosting everybody in the office and getting up in their business and all that kind of jazz. And it's over and, and uh, uproarious applause from one individual. Right. Michael. Yeah. From Michael Scott. And in, in, we, we learned that he... Uh, auditioned for the play and wondering he was wondering what part he was playing. Yeah, right. Uh, like, uh, so you get this weird look. I don't remember exactly who they focused it on, but there's this look of, oh God, he doesn't realize he's not in the play. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Andy is put in that position of having to explain it to him, um, but you could see the other cast members uh, the Sweeney Todd cast members rather they're like, Oh my God, this guy <laughs> is making everything worse. <laughs> you know, they've heard about Michael Scott. Well, yeah. Later on in the episode, the director of the play knew Michael by name, specifically what he had done for his audition. Like it's a very clear memory of Michael Scott showing up into that audition that day. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's the cold open. And Michael is, well, he's Michael and is very pissed that he isn't getting into this. So, um, you know, he's not going to go to the play. Andy wants Aaron to come. And she's like, for a little bit, the only one that's coming. Because Jim and Pam can't come because of the sitter. And just pretty much no one is going at the beginning of the episode. Right. Um. Sorry, cat distractions. There's cat. <laughs> um, yeah, so you know he's kind of bummed, and uh, and then what? What's this world class ringer for Sweeney Todd? Oh, oh right, because yeah, right, Michael's like upset. no one, no one who auditioned for got it. Um, they brought in this world class, you know, professional person, uh, and I don't know if Andy didn't know or if he was just trying to make him feel better. Yeah, I mean, I feel like uh, he's probably trying to make him feel better. I think in this context, well, because he's trying to get him to go, right? Right, right. His plea as to like why he needs to show up. And uh, so I'm sure he's lying. <laughs> and it works. And Michael goes, even though he's got some uh, reservations about the whole thing. Right. Uh, and, you know, and then Pam and Jim ended up coming because. Yep. They get Aaron to babysit, right? For them, 
which is the opposite of what Andy wants. Andy wants her to come so that he can get her to fall in love with him again. That's right. Which I still don't get. I, I, I yeah, I just want to bitch slap Andy. Like, I mean, she, he's got a boy. She's got a boyfriend. You know, just chill. Be cool about it. Welcome uh, to the office, Jacob, where we've spent three years of Jim Halpert trying to steal a, a, a engaged woman. Hey, and and I did say, all in all, that was a dick thing to do, and he shouldn't have been doing. <laughs> Yes, I'm just we saying. like it. We like it because, you know, Jim and Pam, but <laughs> it's still not a chill thing. Uh, I mean, it's it's fine, I think, obviously. I, the person who is being pursued in the relationship didn't want it, man or woman or same sex, whatever. Um, you know, it's very easy to do, hey, listen, I appreciate what you're doing. Um, no need essentially what Jim did at the end of Casino Night by kissing Pam after she said no outside is assault, you know. <clears throat> that's on Jim. That's his fault. Um, but I'm just saying that that not in all contexts is that a bad thing. And if you want to go physically beating people because of it, that's totally fine. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, that is what this show is about. It's about people in relationships who cheat on other people and they all happen to work at the same place. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I mean that you know Dwight and Andy and Angela. It's Oscar and the senator and Angela. I mean, Angela's at the part of a lot of them. I mean, Meredith and probably any time she's with someone is probably somehow malicious. <laughs> no, I mean <clears throat> Meredith is pretty. Uh, she's pretty down for whatever. So, or you say people are using Meredith as a way to hurt other people? Well, well I mean, again, you're making it sound like they're. Like Donna wanted to hurt her husband by cheating on Michael. I just think that they like know they could do Meredith. <laughs> so like that's easy. Let's do that. Yeah, but you know with her, it's all. I mean, the way she makes it sound, it pretty. She's never not done it consensually. Yes, she's never not done it. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so yeah. we're. Yeah, so we're at the show and everybody's starting to show up and some people are in like their casual clothes. Oscar's still wearing like his office clothes. It's like what and what's interesting that? about this is like there's only like three minutes at the office itself. You know, this is almost an entire episode away from the confines of Dunder Mifflin. Yeah, it's like dinner party, right? Where like the office is just there to explain why everybody's together in the next scene, you know? Right, right. Um Angela gets Dwight to go with her specifically uh, right. with the promise of it being a punch on his card, which he's trying to get through those punches, you know? Right. And she like threatens to remediate. So uh, he goes along and this is where we learn about item C clause two that if <laughs> he does develop feelings for Angela, and I assume there is reciprocity that if Angela develop, develops feelings for Dwight or they right. both develop feelings for each other, that is acceptable. Yeah. And it's a little funny to me that they actually like spell this out. Right. I'm, not, I'm not shocked because it's, it's fucking Dwight, but it's, you know, it's still... It's still funny to me that the, he actually sits down and like spells this shit out. Right. <clears throat> um, but so she does, like you said, she does have this ulterior motive of trying to turn this into a little bit more. So that's, that's two moves of romantic aggression in this show. Romantic aggression. Yeah. Romantic oh, aggression. Um, I mean, I don't, yeah. It's an aggressive move, but it's not like, I don't know. I don't see what Angela is doing, if you take out the whole sex contract part, because that's weird, but uh, as bad as what Andy's doing, because they're both single, and she's just using, I, I don't know. I just don't see it as aggressive. I mean, I would, uh, yeah, I mean, it's not as aggressive, but I also feel that at this point, Dwight has also been pretty clear that he's done with her also. Right, right. like he spent all that time to get her away from Andy, and then after the duel, and then especially after Niagara with um, 
what's her face dental assistant lady isabel you know like he seems pretty uninterested in angela and that feels pretty clear and she is still trying to like sex contract even that that's uh you know we isabel was in you know tail end of season six with uh you know uh happy hour episode so yes i do agree but it seems less aggressive even though it, and again that's fine in this episode it, tit for tat not exactly the same but it's, a little, it's less aggressive that. but it is more underhanded because she's like she knows exactly what she's doing because we flash forward she's the one and i actually never noticed it until this episode she's the one who puts the gum on her skirt yeah and what's funny is she didn't have to do that but she wanted to be there if Dwight asked to look for it. She well, it's like the, Dwight popping Phyllis's tires, right? In uh, <laughs> the Crime Aid episode. Right, right. Yeah. Um, so and she's the one who brought, you know, the sort of country girl seed model catalog outfit, which is just jeans, uh, Western-ish looking shirt and some awful, you know, wedge shoes. But that's <laughs> beside the I point. Mean, She's short. She has to deal. Man, you are just down. You are the J-Ray of this episode. But actually, I really like this episode. I'm just all over the place. <laughs> uh, that may be true then. Um, yeah, so Michael shows up and he's got balloons, which is weird because like, I see it as a gift maybe to the actors afterwards, but that's like the thing you keep in your car. and then come Right, back, right. You know? why, didn't, <laughs> why didn't you do that? Yeah. Uh, or I'm sure if he had said somebody, hey, put this in the back for me, you could, you know. Yeah, exactly. Like, leave it in the dressing room, or can you just deliver this to such and such or whatever. Mm-hmm. So he's uh, he's pissed because Daryl says, hey, it's my plumber. Yeah. Right. And so he's like, no, it's not. And he's like, oh, look, it's in the bio. Well, and it's like, it's his first show, right? So he's not even a ringer in the sense that he's, like, great in local theater. Right. Right. Never acted before. Got discovered during karaoke. Um, we find out why Aaron wanted to be a babysitter. Uh, she's wanted to, well, not why specifically, but we just know she's been wanting to get in the babysitting game. This is a great opportunity because the 13 year olds run the town. <laughs> they have a complete monopoly. <laughs> it's like a babysitter's club, <laughs> uh, which is great because. In season one of Kimmy Schmidt, the Babysitter's Club is a very important plot point. And it's relevant because Ellie Kemper is Kimmy Schmidt. That's, that is true. That is true. I never made that connection. I need to go back and watch Kimmy Schmidt. I like I watched the first season and never really went back, even though I really enjoyed the first season. Yeah, the first season's great. It definitely gets a little worse later. But maybe just wait till the seasons are out and then you can watch them all together. Because right. I was talking to someone yesterday, Jacob. Mm-hmm. And it came up that I am, like you, an office aficionado, that we do a very, 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 very popular, but could be highly ranked iTunes podcast. And um, I had, you know, I have this split, right, in the in the show seasons, like post-season four, I'm kind of like, this whole show's garbage at that point. <laughs> but that's kind of like where I caught it live on television, is like, I caught up and then season five was about like, I can now watch it on Thursdays. Right. Right. So I feel like that's why that separation is so clear to me. I can see that season five though. I mean, that, that was a tough, tough season to get through in one shot, like week to week. Yeah. I mean, it's also like the post writer strike season. Um, Cause right. season four was the shorter season. Well, in season five, isn't that when some people left to go to parks and rec as well? Well, right. And I wonder if there was like a writer shift because Ken Shore goes to do Parks and Rec. So Karen Filippelli's gone. And... Right. Well, I do know there are like several writers left for Parks and Rec. Right. Well, and it's why we get these names like in this episode where we're not even sure who these dudes are because they were not our, our seasons one through five folks, you know? Right, right. Yeah. Anyways, Kimmy Schmidt. <laughs> So, yeah, so she's doing that. And then, um, so the show starts and we hear the song again from the intro, but now we see what the actual scene is. And it's Mm -hmm. kind of like this Greek chorus of people kind of introducing how the story plays out. 
Right. And, and we and have we to pay attention it. or we'll miss the thematic. We have to pay attention to the overture because, or we'll, we won't understand the thematic shifts or something. I don't yeah, know. Daryl was very like on point with whatever the hell he was trying to explain to Michael. Well, I think he, uh, I mean, that's just him like thinking Flicka, right? He's just like, Mike don't know anything. Let me make some shit up with a lot of confidence. And I'll be <laughs> like, okay, okay, I shouldn't be talking now. Right. Uh, what's funny is at the beginning of the, um, the play, Jim and Pam are down with, um, like, down by Kelly and Ryan. And the stewardess right. comes in and moves them, and they're over by Michael. And they don't seem too happy about being next to Michael. Well, I thought it was because they were embarrassed because they're adults and they're doing something sneaky. And then obviously the couple that had those seats showed up, which is what caused them to have to move back. And then Kelly turns around and goes, ooh. I mean, they probably moved up to not be with Michael to begin with. So it's kind of like a right. you know, double-edged sword there. We're like, ah, shit. <laughs> we're in trouble, <laughs> embarrassed, and now we have to go sit with Michael. I mean, if it were me, I would want to avoid sitting next to Michael. I mean, wouldn't you? I mean, generally, for sure, and especially tonight in our Sweeney Todd night because of his kind of overall bitter mood, right? Right, which is just, yeah, it's it's a special mood for Michael. I mean, he doesn't, it's not as bad as some of his other things he's done, but it's it's up there in terms of, like, just shittiness. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you want to talk about shittiness, we're about to get to some shitty Michaelness and sex ed, right? Oh, um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so the show goes and we are treated to a lot of fun kind of, uh, you know, office reactions to what's going on. And Andy has a really great bit where he uh, sings a a tune. A tune. Yeah, it's a very yeah, pretty tune. And, you know, yeah. it's like, oh, yeah, he can actually sing when he's not doing that really weird high falsetto thingy. His old do-do-do-do. Um, you know, Dwight leans over to a stranger. He's like, I work with him. Yeah, he starts giving him his whole backstory. He's like, he's a terrible salesman. And this and this and this. <laughs> yeah. Like, for whatever reason, like, Dwight is proud of Andy here. Right. I don't, like, yeah, yeah. Well, it seems like the whole office staff is like, cause by the end of it, when they're asking for like him to sing another song, it all feels pretty legitimate because they don't know. Right. What he's going this is to. one of the first times we've actually seen him like performing without like, he's actually performing and he's not doing his weird Andiness. Yeah. You know, and he's singing in the right key and <laughs> the right, right notes and stuff. Yeah. So it sounds a lot better. Um, and we have this wonderful like bit at intermission. So yeah. one, we have Angela comes back with her seat catalog outfit. Mm-hmm. And, like Dwight really takes notice and you know starts you know very very um, non sneakily checking yeah, out her butt. Some staring, yeah, yeah. Which uh, which you know he we we do. You know, through the series, get confirmed that he's kind of an ass man. It's just kind of his thing. Uh, it's kind of news to me, but that's fine. Okay. Well, when, a lot of times when he talks about attractive women, he talks about their butt. Like when um, in season nine, when uh, Pam's drawing gets graffitied with the uh, the butts. Yeah. He's like... You know, I used to think that she was annoying, but now she's going all scorched earth. I'm like, wow, Pam's got a really nice butt. And there, there's a couple different things like that in, in the series. Okay. Maybe we're learning something about your favorite piece of anatomy, Jacob. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so um, <laughs> like, I want to say things to that, but then, <laughs> then we really start getting to, like way off track. Yeah, that's a different uh, different podcast. Uh, yeah, so Jim and Pam are kind of they they call Aaron to check in, and immediately she tries to put Cece on the phone. <laughs> right, but um, there's this really funny thing with like he's Creed's on the phone. We assume with actually somebody, but maybe not giving like this like 
it seems like he's like sending a newspaper article. It's like, well, so I thought maybe he was using the voice recorder on his phone. So like he could type it up later. That's maybe. how I figured. And publish it on Creed Thoughts. <laughs> yeah, but he's like, you know, talking about the ham fisted this or that. and Yeah, yeah. But it's this really weird shift because later he said, tells Michael to be careful. I just saw this guy kill a lot of people, kill a lot of guys. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, which is interesting because I thought maybe he was, because I don't know why, but for this time I watched it with subtitles and I realized that's what Cree had said. Mm-hmm. But I always thought he was alluding to his writing this article about how crappy this dude was. Um, and I don't know what he could have possibly said. Something like, careful, Michael, like, don't worry, it's coming out or whatever. But seeing the subtitles, I was like, wow, I had no idea he said that. <laughs> it's like this one bit in a fun run. Dwight and Angela are having their fight about Prinkles. <laughs> and uh, Michael runs through them and he says, um, oh my God, I forget what it is. But it's like, uh, beware of bat bite. Like, careful of bats, don't get bit. Something like that. But he says it so fast and so out of breath that I never understood what he was saying. Um, and I just I've never noticed that. Else. I'll have to yeah. like that you is one reason it. like watch something with the subtitles on occasion because you will catch stuff that you may may or may not hear because you can see it. Yeah, that's exactly. Um, right. So in during the intermission, Michael steals at least one bottle of wine, if not multiple yeah. bottles of wine. Right. So the uh, the show gets underway, and before Andy uh, pops on, he is checking his phone in emails and text messages in case he got any last minute break of legs, right? Hoping that Aaron maybe is out Thinking there about him or whatever. Right, right. Um, so it's not slips it in his sailor pocket, which not for nothing. I wear a lot of button ups with the little pencil oh, yeah. pocket area. You can't put his cell phone in there. It looks just like he got square breasticles going on. <laughs> But he's, I mean, he's a ways away. And I just, yeah, the the putting in the pocket, fine. How the ringer was it? Like, was the phone off stage with the ringer on? Then he grabbed, like, or did he just, like, accidentally flick that, like, little side switch on the iPhone to turn it on? Well, I thought maybe his phone had been off, like, during the first act. And he turned it on, and then he did turn it off when he went back on stage. And no, that could be, that could be. And so the ring, like it starts ringing, and um, the guy playing Sweeney Todd does a good job talking about like a bird singing or something. Like that plays it off really well. Then it keeps going, and Andy keeps doing his line, and then he hears like a voicemail chime, right. And so he has to check it again because, you know, what if it's Aaron, which, you know, come on, if it's Aaron, it'll be there. Right. And right. so it kind of goes downhill and Andy gets all flustered, like accusing people. He's like, oh, you murdered them. And he's like, oh, wait, you, the, uh, I know, I don't know that yet. I have my suspicions <laughs> and all this well, other he, stuff that keeps just going round and round and round. Right. So. Since you don't know good old Sweeney Todd, the shtick is that he is murdering people, but he's always got an excuse as to why they're missing. Um, so the audience knows, but the other characters don't know. So his revelation of this is right. It's like ruining the story. So he's trying to backtrack it. And he, it's like it's the most office moment that I felt like we've had in a long time because it's just terribly uncomfortable. Um, and he's messing it up and he said well i murdered someone too and we're both murderers and and it's crap and finally when they get back on track michael loses his balloons right so they go up and while he tries to reach for them he kicks the bottle that he him and his crew had been drinking from and it just rolls down this like the 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 levels of the the theater just like hitting chairs on its way and maybe a step or two right so that's awful and then the balloons fly up and burst right. on the lights or something. I assume it's the lights. Maybe it was, you know, just yeah, a loose nail or something. But I mean, this whole, this is like five minutes of a 22 minute episode, you know, like this is just five minutes of like just straight awkward. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, he, it's he great. Baby crying. And, cool. you know, Pam says, oh, that sounds like Cece. She turns, and it is Cece. And Aaron has brought her to the play to see Andy. And Andy is super thrilled, right. uh, obviously. And so Jim and Pam freak out. Um, yeah, it's just this really awkward moment. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and they're kind of mad, right? Because, uh, I mean, it's late, presumably. I think what was supposed to have happened, and they say as such, is that she was just supposed to put Cece in bed and like never talk to her, touch her again, right? Just leave, right. leave her and let her sleep. The play, they said at the beginning of the episode, the play started at 8 and ran for an hour and 45. So what you so you'd assume what Cece's le, a, a less than a year old? Right. You would, I mean, yeah. You would, by like 7, 7.30, something like that, right? Latest date. Like yeah. you play with her for half an hour, change her, feed her, put her to bed. That's about right. it. Right. Mm. So, yeah. so there, there's this great line between Jim and Pam where they're like, um, because we, we kind of made it sound like this was the first time they had left CC with a babysitter. Right. And you know, uh, and so they're like, uh, Jim says, we're never leaving the house. And Pam is like, screeches like, not together at least or something like that. It's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> which I could understand. No, I can't really understand because I'm not a parent. But like, I could, I could empathize with like the trepidation of leaving your child at home for the first time. Right. I don't know. If you have a kid out there and want to like, you know, give us some feedback on this, please do. Don't do it. Don't have kids. <laughs> That's the feedback. <laughs> uh, so Aaron ends up uh, going into the theater, taking their place, and uh, they leave. The show goes on, and there's really nothing eventful. Uh, for right, but we really don't see the, any more of the play. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty much the last we see the play. Then we see, like, backstage. Oh, at the end of it, when they're doing, you know, the curtain call. Uh, oh, yeah. And... The guy, you know, Sweeney Todd gets his huge standing ovation and Michael starts booing him. It's like yeah. straight booing. Uh, and, they, and they definitely make eye contact. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So um, we get backstage and uh, everybody's celebrating and it's kind of nice and jovial and we've got uh, good old Mr. Sweeney Todd walking by and Daryl and him kind of catch eyes and they start talking, but... Daryl was previously talking to Michael, so inevitably Sweeney Todd recognizes Michael. Oh, you're the guy who booed me. Right. Like, oh, I was like, you definitely were, and you were the only one. Yeah. (laughs) Right, because Michael tries to play it up like a bunch of other people were booing. Right. Um, uh, Dwight or Daryl does has this really good, like, what if we booed you? And he just starts booing him. Michael's like, yeah, don't like that. Yeah. Well, because also he's, Michael's like, well, that's unrealistic. That would never happen. <laughs> no one would ever boo him. Uh, so then we go outside, and um, Dwight's getting a little handsy with Angela. Like a little fun. handsy. I mean, we're pushing like you're talking about like assaultness. I mean, this is very romantically aggressive. Thank you. It's applicable, but Angela is into it for a minute. But you know, she has this long con plan going on. Right, so leave, wants, leave him wanting. Right, so she's she's trying to punch his card, which is not a euphemism, <laughs> and uh, you know, so she grabs the card, punches it, whatever, and I think uh, it seems like it's worked, right? Right, like in the ending, so they find so, oh fuck the um. <sighs> I lost my train. So, god damn it. I lost my train of thought. I had this whole thing out. Okay, so they're, uh, Andy and Aaron are talking after the play, and Aaron gets a phone call, and she, I think it's like ice cream or something. Right. I was supposed to get ice cream today at Walmart, and I forgot. Oops. <laughs> my wife told me to get ice cream, and I forgot. <laughs> um, uh, but anyway, so they're, they're doing, they're talking. She gets a phone call and leaves. So he's got like, He's on the stage really down, you know, upset because I guess, and you know, in 
And I think in most people's heads, you know, he's just imagining them doing things together and just beating himself up for no good reason, really. It's a Phyllis finds him wearing this fur spread that knowing Phyllis is probably a real fur. Right. Um, and so Michael's like, man, you're awesome. And Andy's kind of getting real defensive. And he's like, he's like, look, Andy, I booed someone today. I have yeah. no filter. <laughs> yeah. You are exactly awesome. No better, no worse. Just exactly awesome. Right. So they get him to sing some Macy Gray song and it's all nice and jovial and it kind of ends on this kind of like, you know, you got your friends kind of note or whatever. Um, but then we get our cold ending and uh, we uh, it's actually a flashback. I would guess it's a flashback to Michael's actual audition for Sweeney Todd where he literally does do an episode yeah, of Wild like, like from the beginning with the narration with the sound effects <laughs> yeah yeah that's exactly but, right. like the ending is really good because it is like we get like a camera shot of angela driving away and dwight comes back and he's a little down but he's singing along and i don't know it's this really melancholy like I know it's sort of a contradiction, but it's upbeat, but it's also kind of melancholy at the same time. Uh, but I really, like, I, I don't know. It, it had this really nice emotional twinge at the end. Like, it wasn't over-the-top emotional. They weren't going for anything big. It just landed just right for me. There you go. So so what, is that, what does that bring the rating to? Uh, I like this. I like this episode. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, I, so I gave it a four out of five world class ringers. Yeah, uh, I you know what I'm gonna agree with you because uh, sometimes I'll differentiate and I'll add a point just so that we're not exactly the same. But you know, it's pretty clear. It's a good episode, so I give it a four out of five babysitters clubs. So it's solid. And again, early episodes I like because whatever the whole point of the season is, we haven't really talked about it yet, which is great. Right, right. Uh, so, season seven, episode four, Sex Ed, written and directed by Mr. Paul Lieberstein himself. Yep. Give it up for big old Tobes. What, what? <laughs> so, um, the intro here is Dwight driving around. Right. But it's a talking head by people we've never seen before. Namely, an old man and a young. Right. Young so boy. Dwight's picking up, you know, some day laborers. Uh, so he's talking to him in terrible, terrible Spanish, and no one will go with him. So right. uh, like we get this talking head, and so we we find out that whenever people go with um, Dwight, they're never seen again. Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, and of course they're assuming the worst, rightfully so, that he's probably murdered or something, but we right. find out that uh, Dwight has them do work and then Mo shows up in some type of government issued, you know, uh, INS outfit right. and scares them off. Oh no, gets so he, take, he yeah. like He puts them in a van, drives them to Harrisburg and right. tells them <laughs> they're in the middle of Canada. Right. So that's great. <laughs> Um, but he does pick up someone, and this is our intro to the character of Nate. Right, and he's—I mean, he's not—I wouldn't call him a regular, to, but he's—you uh, know—he's—he's he's in the rest of the, the show. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, eventually becoming a member of the warehouse staff after the lottery. Right. Mm-hmm. He shows up a couple of times as this like building manager assistant thing. Right. I'm not a huge fan of him. I think he's like too dumb. Yeah, but he doesn't like. He's never uh, like he's never. He doesn't have his own plot lines. He's just this like salt shaker of you know oddness that they just sprinkle on the scenes every once in a while. Yeah, and I think that's probably why I don't like him because like that's what the whole show is for. <laughs> like the point is that Dwight would be weird or 
Kevin would do something odd. I mean, that's exactly what Creed is. So having Nate there also is kind of like, eh. I mean, it's fine. But um, like you said, I have no particular affinity for this guy. Oh well, yeah, he's the uh, he's the warehouse Creed is what he ends up becoming. Yeah, right, right, right. Uh, so Dwight wants him to take down a hornet's nest, and he gives him all the tools he needs. So like laid out on like a blanket or a towel or something is like a baseball bat, a butane torch, what looks like pesticide. So that's probably the one, or not pesticide. Yeah, pesticide. So it's probably the one he wanted. Uh, there was like a bows and arrows, a baseball bat. You know, there's just all these different things. And he's like, it's do or die. And we have this great little like quick talking. I was like, when did do or die lose its meaning? Yeah. Um, yeah. So he ends up taking the bat, and it's terrible. Yeah, it's it's just terrible. Um, and we assume he just gets the you know the ever loving hell stung out of him. That's right. I mean, really, for he could have died in this scene, and we wouldn't have known. <laughs> right. This could have been the end of Nate. Yeah. <laughs> And then we would be speculating, whatever happened to Nate, we never saw him again. Do you think he actually died and Dwight right. buried him somewhere on his however many acre beet farm? That's right. <sighs> so we start the episode. Mike shows up with a fake mustache. And, uh, you know, he's, in, he's, he's very defensive about why he needs a reason to wear a fake mustache. Well, right. With, and with Michael being Michael, like maybe he has a thing against mustaches so that's why it's a big deal but like i mean from what we've seen from out of him would you be shocked with him wearing anything to work we've already seen him show up in like the willy wonka get up and all sorts of other things so like it surprises me that people know or maybe no one noticed and he was the one calling attention to it well yeah i mean it's I d- he, it's not like I think he was doing it as like a gag and wanted to make sure people like saw it or whatever. But uh, right, right. But we find out that it's because he has a uh, a little a little bump on his lip. No, it's more than little, but it's <laughs> yeah, it's it's a cold sore or you know an ingrown mustache hair, something like that. Yeah, I mean. I'm pretty sure a cold sore is herpes. It's 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 like mild. Is, but it, I is think it the, I mean it's a form of herpes, but is it the same type as I don't know. I don't know if it's Let's like see. According to WebMD, despite the name, when you get painful blisters called cold sores, don't blame your cold. Cold sores are caused by a virus, but not the kind that makes you sniffle and sneeze. Instead, they happen because of infection with the herpes simplex virus. Okay. I didn't know if it was like related. So it's pretty much the same thing. Yeah. I mean, I think a t- bunch of people have whatever this type of herpes is. Right. Um, I've heard a great. number was like 90% or something, but I don't, I don't know if it's that high. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's... It's rough and really not for nothing. If you ever do end up getting one, there's not a lot you can do. Yeah. Yeah. You have to put on a fake mustache, basically man or woman. That's really your only option. <laughs> Santa beard would be preferable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not, yeah. I actually have a story about this, but I'm not going to go there. So, <laughs> okay. <All right. laughs> uh, so, so this really freaks Michael out that he might have herpes. Right. And I don't know if it's him or if it's Dwight that's like, hey, you, yeah, it's Dwight. He's sort of like, hey, you should call everybody, figure out who it was, and go get revenge. Right. And because Dwight is just a guy who really likes revenge. And that's a quote. That's, that's what he says in the episode. He's like, I just really like a good revenge plot. Yeah. And, um, so we end up going down this really fun train of Michael Scott Lover memory lane. Um, it right. starts with, well, we only ever go as far back as Carol. 
Well, I mean, to be fair, that's as far back as it goes. I mean, I think it's probably a little crazy to think he hasn't awkwardly dated anybody well um, before Carol. She's the earliest that we see. But the earliest that we see, right, right, right. Uh, That's what I meant as far back. It's the earliest we see. So we get this parade of X X Michael. So she called. Well, we don't actually see Donna. We hear Donna. That's right. Who sounds happy to hear him, hear from him. Right. So maybe maybe there was, you know, some actual, you know, feelings there. I don't know. Um, so Michael's like, I have this sexually contracted disease that there is yeah. no known cure. Right. Um, he's like, I can't even say I have to spell it out. And he's like, H, I could hear Donna yeah. freaking out. Like, right. holy shit. And he's got, you know, he's got the heavy. Um and he's like, is she realized like he got herpes. It's like, are right. you, uh, it's like, could do you have it? She's like, no, does your stupid husband have it? No. Like, You're telling me I have to get tested. And so she starts like kind of getting into Michael. He's like, I got to go. And just like hangs up on. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. But, uh, you know, there, there starts to be seeds in this conversation where it's not just about the herpes anymore. And it's actually about how we start to discuss why Michael's relationship with these women ends at some point. Right. Well, I thought that was more with like the Holly thing where she's like, Hey, well, it, it gets there. And she's the one who flat out says it. I mean, Donna's I think is the only person that we talked to before Holly anyways. Right. Right. Yeah. Mm. But yeah, so we end up calling Holly and that also seems pretty nice, but she's obviously still dating AJ and right. And they do this really weird, like, hello. Like, when she answers, like, hello, this is Holly. Michael's like, no, this is Holly. And they go back and forth for, like, two minutes, right? Yeah. And Dwight's, Dwight has this wonderful what-the-fuck expression on his face. Like, he's just sitting there going, like, the hell is this blind? Right. I mean, there's no, there's no sex contract here. I don't understand how these men and women interact with each other. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so as they go... Holly eventually comes out and says that, you know, ultimately they're only dating for a couple of weeks and, you know, Michael's holding on to this relationship and putting it on a pedestal in a way that maybe is unhealthy and unrealistic and whatever. And Michael kind of gets mad and hangs up on her. Right. Um, you know, cause Michael, as we find out for the most part, still has this really rosy view of his exes. Yeah. Like all of them. Right, which is weird to me. I mean, most I would say most people don't have a good, good I like thought of their exes. Maybe you know could be neutral, but to say it's good in terms of like how Michael is, I I, I would that's that's got to be like a low number of people who think like that with their exes. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, to be fair, I mean, he has these thoughts about them, but he doesn't actually regularly talk to any of them either. Right, right. You know, so yeah, he's saying it's good, but obviously it's not actually good because, you know, the first time he talks to most of these women, they're all like, oh my goodness, it's you. What are you doing? (laughs) Right, right. Um, we get this great line, like, so Holly's getting into him about how he over, you just, he does, basically everything's over the top with, with him. Right, and he says, "Like it's like you cried at that tagline for the movie you made up. That it right. was uh, he had no arms, no legs, couldn't he hear, see, or speak. This is how he led a nation." Yeah, <laughs> beautiful. So, is this like pickle Rick without the lips? Is, it, is this what? Is yeah, like what is it? Right? Yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> What's well, like the CPR dummy, basically? Right. Right. <laughs> like that Super Bowl episode happened. He's like, I can write a movie about this. <laughs> I could see that. I could actually see that being the catalyst for this tagline because it's, it's at the right time. It's season five, right? So Holly's around. Yeah. Right. Or maybe she has been re- like, she may or may not have actually been there yet or whatever, but I could see it. I could see it. Right. Right. Excuse the dog in the background. Don't know what happened. Uh, so we have this whole B storyline where, like, people have, were talking about how gross Meredith is, and 
so Andy gets all weird about like, hey, you know, the worst sexually transmitted disease is ignorance and wants them to like have this open discussion about like safe sex and abstinence and all this other stuff. So it's this really weird thing, which like we can mostly assume that it's him trying to like gauge whether or not like Aaron and Gabe, you know, have having sex or not. Right, right. Yeah, it's weird. Um, and he's not qualified to do it at all. And I mean, right. Toby's he around. He's already in college, so, you know, that's his qualification. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and then there's some like, uh, right, where's Toby is what you put here. And I agree, like, Toby would normally, like, have shut this thing down or would have had the information that would be allowed to be shared in an office setting about this kind of thing. Right, right. Um, who knows? Maybe this is like the start of the whole like jury duty screen strangler thing. So uh, maybe that's where he is. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, all right. Uh, yeah. And then there's like uh, so so we we see Jane. First time in a long time we see Jane, and she is a uh, yeah. First time since she, season five. Yeah, and she's like a, a the manager of purchasing at a hospital or something. You know, she's responsible for bringing in probably everything, latex gloves to syringes to maybe where they buy food or whatever, right? Oh, and probably well, if she's had a purchasing that's like, you know, big stuff like you know, big stuff too, like MRI machines, you know, that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I like is this really weird juxtaposition with her? Like, she's obviously crazy. Yeah. You know, that's that's just she's obviously batshit insane and dwight even says so she's in, you know but when michael's not around i guess that she actually like can keep it together in a way that she always sort of rises up the ranks still right so she's clearly like, capable right because here it's um you know she's head of purchasing for hospital that's I mean, that's not, you know, what she was at Dunder Mifflin, but that's still a very high-paying, high-profile job. She's, you know, Scranton White Pages in season nine. She's running the whole show there. Yeah. So she's this really weird thing. Like with her, like I don't, I don't know how to describe it. Like it's that whole thing where they say that most CEOs are so sociopaths; they're just, you know, where they, they don't kill people; they just move up the corporate ladder. Right, right, because of like their ability to like lie or whatever, like just manipulate well, people, so, put them in a good place. So right. driven, it will be so single-minded, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And so, yeah, Michael, so she's all up for talking with Michael about their relationship, what killed it. Um, so, you know, Assy shows up. <laughs> Terrible nickname. <laughs> like, who the hell calls their kid this? I mean, she was asking for a call in her Astrid, but come on. <laughs> right. Um. Well, and then so Michael kind of abruptly ends the meeting during a, an awkward singing session to Astrid that he's got herpes and he and he just kind of leaves. Right. And so like he has this really like sort of cathartic moment where he's like, man, I thought she was the one or at least a the one. And now I'm like, like she he, he sees her as bad, that right. it was not a good relationship. Like it's. You know, it's the distance, light of day, however you want to say it, that, that's in between there that he can, like, look at and go, wow, that really wasn't good for me. Right, yeah. Um, and then just real quick, as you mentioned, Andy's doing his thing, and then there's this uh, this bit that Daryl really takes offense of with pros and cons about, you know, uh, you know, why you should wait until marriage or whatever, and then what well, is the safe sex? sex. Like, oh, I didn't realize this is a trick question. Yeah, yeah. Um, and again, it's this point where we've we've already learned, or we we just learned now after that awkward moment <laughs> that Andy is doing this thing to try to figure out who is practicing abstinence, hoping right. that Aaron and Gabe would raise their hands. Right. Right. Uh, 
Right. And then they talk about like the safest form of safe, safe sex and all this other stuff. Yeah. Uh, so Dwight is continuing to help Michael find these ladies and um, he pulls out a printed map. Right. In a notebook. So I, yeah. I kind of wonder if this is like in response to the GPS thing from season five. Was that season five when they, they write, they, no, season four. That was season four when they uh, yeah. drive the car into the lake. That's right. Yeah. Um, so we find ourselves at a park, and there's an old blonde woman sitting on a bench with a big old hat protecting her from the sun. And right. Who's obviously clearly, like 75. You know, she's older. Right. And so Michael thinks that's Helene. That's right. Who, yeah. I mean, Helene's older, but she's definitely not that old. You know? No. Um, so Helene is there with, uh, I assume, a Cece. Yeah, that's what I figured. Uh, and so they start talking, and Helene, like, Michael's like, what'd you, or Helene asks, like, what'd you think we were? Like, oh, just an awkward indie movie, breaking the rules, but we had to end because summer was over, or at least your summer was over. Right. <laughs> you know, just really being condescending is all fucked to this woman. Yeah, and, you know, she's like, your memory has failed you. It just really starts like, you know, digging into this, into Michael. Yeah. Uh, rightfully so, too, because he's like, oh, yeah, Michael was a terrible tour. He's a dick. <laughs> he's a dick. Um, but right. So as she lays into him, it's more proof of Holly's statement of romanticizing these relationships or whatever, you know, because you know, of Michael's own behavior causing this particular one to end is what kind of comes of it, right? Right. And then we see, like, he finds Carol's open house and about, like, you know, his ex-lover. Yeah. Um, right. So she she does say that she basically confirms flat out that he does romanticize relationships. Oh, yeah. And, well, especially with her, because, like, you know, he proposed during Diwali and the whole skis and skis and greetings, greetings. Yeah. Uh, Christmas card. Um, so my question is: so this is obviously a real house that they're in, you know? It, yes. it, at least I assume so. It doesn't look like it, it would be a set. So my question is: like, does that help that house's value when it goes up for sale, as seen on the office? <laughs> uh, yeah, probably not. <laughs> Yeah, I gotta say not. I mean, also, do I wonder if someone already purchased the house? Right. I mean, yeah, it could like be they, like they owned it already, and they were like, "Hey, you." Right, can. but you know, it's been eight years since this episode aired, or seven and a half. So maybe you know, maybe someone sold it. And like you know, in the li- in in the in the listings, like beautiful four bedroom, three bath, granite countertops, as seen on season seven, episode four of The Office. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i, I think like backyard said, open right. floor I mean, eight years later i guess who because like for example i uh i don't know if who out there you jacob or anybody who listens ever watched the sopranos but they used to go to a strip club called bada bing and that strip club was here in you know just like a couple miles from my place it's real places called satin dolls and they used to have a sign that says home of bada bing from the sopranos but that sign hasn't been there for like five years now you know so like there's a point where like someone drives by who cares and i feel like that's probably what's up with that house at this point right but you know you never know it could be i can see it being a bullet point not like in the front yard, you know, eight years later, as seen on the office. <laughs> well, because it, is it a positive thing or is it a negative thing? Because then maybe people feel like, okay, well, this house is like a thing and I'm going to get fans showing up being like, I want to have an awkward talk with my girlfriend. <laughs> or whatever. Whatever people do at houses. <laughs> <laughs> so... um so we find ourselves back in the office. Now it's all post awkward, whatever post pencil condom moment. Um, and Gabe's got Andy and he's kind of like giving him a talking to about like, Hey, like we had a discussion. I asked you, can I date Aaron? You said, yes. You're right, being wait, inappropriate. Wait, you know, as weird as Gabe can be, that's 
a stand-up move. Yeah, it's okay. I mean, he's got to do something, right? His girlfriend's being encroached on. Well, no, no, no. I mean, like, he asked Andy, hey, you cool with me doing this, even though we didn't have to. Uh, yeah. yeah, sure. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, that's... It's a nice thing to do. I'm not saying, you like, you have to, but it's a nice thing to do. Yeah, that's all right. I'm, I'm not giving him any medals for it. <laughs> Gabe, Gabe's a weirdo. <laughs> uh, um... But yeah, and you have a note here, uh, I guess, because you're saying Andy and Aaron, like, when did they break they up? Broke up they, but I was, yeah. I, so I, I, I don't know. Yeah. So I guess that they broke up from Secretary's Day. And they, yes. Yeah. So, yeah. So that note was probably in error when I made it. Because <laughs> I was I rescind that comment. There you go. <laughs> Um, so let's see what else do we got here? Um, oh, I see. Right, right, right. Yeah. Because when Andy gets called into that meeting with Gabe, he's in Daryl's office kind of, uh, yeah, he's not, he's not crying. He's sweating from his eyes. That's right. Yeah. And and, and Daryl gives us this like really good advice about how like he's got to stand up and be him in the end he's gonna win and like he leaves like really like Andy leaves really happy and Daryl like talks to Gary's like no I have no idea what's going on with him it's just my standard advice for everybody well that's why I feel like uh you know Daryl just lies to Michael all the time <laughs> even about his musical theater know-how you know I mean, it's just like, I got to get these people out of my office, out of my face, whatever. <laughs> right. So we kind of wrap up with Michael calling Holly back and getting her voicemail. Yeah. And he, so he calls her back to, cause he never brought up the first time around that, you know, he has his herpes. She should get tested, whatever. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's kind of a, like, he starts to kind of unload on her where he's like, you know, yeah, I saw all these women and I thought about all these things and, you know, I never felt for them what I felt for you. And to leave this on her voicemail is such a dick move. Like, it's a dick move to do it at all. But, nope. like, just to unload on somebody on their voicemail when they can't respond to you. She chose not to pick up the phone or she was unable to do so. He has a message to tell her. What, are you supposed to hang on to it the whole time? I mean, he could wait. He could not do it. I mean, it's his prerogative to do so. He wants to. He's got information. She had offended him by accusing him of doing this thing that he does in relationships. So he has the right to defend himself. Again, not saying that anybody in this situation is particularly right, because Holly also obviously has feelings for Michael, as we learn later. Also, because, you know, she's got mysterious letters unsent on her desktop and stuff. Right, right. I mean, there's there's a lot going on. I'm not saying that what Holly did was good either. I'm just saying at least she did it somewhat to his face and not through a voicemail. I mean, it's to her face. It's not like she listens to her voicemail on speaker in the fucking cafe. <laughs> you know, she's going to listen to it. And obviously, based on what we see later on, it doesn't seem like they connected again after that. Yeah, yeah, that's probably true. Yeah. She probably just yes. like deleted it or whatever. Right. Yeah, but it does yeah. give this really good view of Michael. Like we we talk about like Michael maturing this season. This is very much a giant leap forward for him where he actually goes back and sees just how terrible his relationships were and the yeah. fact that he was responsible for some of these relationships ending. Right. So it's this really good moment with them and so you know and it's also this really cool look that like oh he was with on and off again with jan for like two years and all these different people and like holly was short but it was so meaningful you know so it's this this nice thing about how you know some of the most meaningful relationships in life they aren't long they're short or whatever you know so it's this just nice look about about at love and other things and how like moments can affect people yeah, well said. I have nothing to add to that. <laughs> uh, so, the, yeah, we close yeah. up the episode where they bring in Oscar, you know, because him and um, Michael sucked face in season three. So what, five, yeah. four years ago? 
Right. Yeah. Is like we're and Dwight's like I'm gonna need a list of all the men you've been with. You know, train station, men's rooms. Uh, a really offensive list that Dwight goes down. And Michael's like trying to like you know galas. Like he's like trying to do like <laughs> yeah. the nice side. Like fences with holes in them. Democrat minion. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So you know, what do you, what do you think of this episode? Uh, well. I like this episode a lot, actually. It's almost like a clip show without the clips. You know, it's like this. It's just like nice to see the characters come back. And it, it this is an episode that really sets up Michael's departure from this season, you know, because mm-hmm. um, Holly's back in the story. Now we're talking about her and Michael's like really trying to figure out what he wants in life proper. So and it's told in a humorous way. And I like the cliffhanger of not knowing whether or not Michael has herpes for a couple episodes. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, I think I'm going to give this episode like a, a four out of five. H I <laughs> that's what I give it. Uh, so this is a clip show without the clips. Yeah. But the nice thing about the clip show is you can relive some moments, well, especially, you know, before Netflix, I mean, you can just watch the episode over and over again, you know, you could relive some of those old moments. Uh, this episode is just kind of there for me. It's very meh. It's, I don't know, it's a stepping stone episode. Uh, so it's not overly funny. It's just weird. So I don't, so I'm giving it two out of five meh. I mean, it wasn't even good enough for me to come up with something from the episode to rate it as. It's just meh. Yep. Told you. Different pages. <laughs> Maybe not even the same books. <laughs> hey, we were on the same page the first episode. Yeah, that was surprising too. Because <laughs> you came in real hot about it. <laughs> just because I like it doesn't mean I can't be critical. Uh, Sure. <laughs> Well, right, that's, so that, yeah, that's going to do it. Episode, um, I'm Jacob Ingles. You can find me at Jacob Ingles on Twitter. Email us, brokenjarsbroadcasting at gmail.com. We have Twitter and shit. And if you want to find that, you can because we don't use it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, J Ray. That's J Ray. He's got Twitter. J A Y underscore R E Y. Yep. So, follow us. See what we do day in, day out. Mine's really boring, so don't bother following me. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll i tweet a joke, then I'll tweet something serious, and then I'll say something about my phone, and Jacob will reply to the phone thing. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how that goes. Generally, mine are like retweets about Oklahoma State sports. That's about it. Yeah, so no need to follow either of us, really. That's fair. All right, well, y'all have a good one. See y'all in two weeks. Which will be March. Oh, God. Man, just get through this year. All right. This show's never going to (laughs) end. Have a good one, guys. Bye.